0: Excuse me why I cut this podcast off and go cry in my room. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome this week to IreneCast. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff.
1: I'm Mona. And I'm Alan.
0: Thank you once again for joining us. Um, I don't know about the about you two, but I am super excited about this podcast. I feel like it's going pretty well.
1: Me too.
2: self french him.
0: I agree, Mona. Absolutely. Great sentiment.
2: I was gonna say self-referential enthusiasm, just to be yeah, a jerk, even but do it. that's what you, <laughs> I couldn't even. That's,
0: do that's it. what you get for using big words. You're too meta. <laughs> you need
1: to bring it back down.
0: You yeah, guys,
2: I, be, can I just say something? I'm gonna be 30 in a couple, like a month, and I was singing oh for my, my 30th birthday. I know, isn't that crazy? I would have a, a bad art party. So like have everyone dress up as hipsters and like bring bad art and then like stick it to the man by like decorating the bad art badly and then like mm-hmm. s- switching. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like a fake hipster party? Is that do you think that's like the ultimate hipster irony of like I think so.
0: I think it's very hipstery to have Did a non-hipster party.
1: Did you think of that because I called you meta? Because now you're taking it to a whole new level. <laughs>
2: you're like, I was just wondering, like, does that does that make meta. me a hipster of wanting to have that party? I
1: think so. Yeah, I think that might actually make you a hipster.
0: I'm gonna have to. But go like, with, are
2: hipsters self aware enough to make fun of themselves? I don't think so.
0: Mm-hmm. We should have a segment called "Is It Hipster." Is That's it, what we should do.
2: We like, we like destroy the hipster like paradox
0: exactly. if, by like,
2: identifying it. We totally you
0: know offend and ostracize that group of people, but then the great <laughs> part about it is they'll love it because. They're hipsters. Because
2: we are one of them. Exactly.
0: Well,
1: the, I, I heard I heard a definition of hipster is where you just basically take all of the social currency from something. And you, uh, for instance, like being a lumberjack, you dress up like a lumberjack. You're not a lumberjack. You've never felled a tree in your life. But you're just going to like empty the bank account of the currency that that like way of being in the world has. So you get to reap all the benefits, but you don't have to be a lumberjack and you can just switch the next day. So it's basically like preying upon these Social ways of being, and then just taking all of their worth for yourself without actually inhabiting them.
2: Okay, so, so, my so question if you're gonna is, do that, so what hipsters, about hipsters that who actually just, like cure their own bacon and stuff? So if they're actually doing it and <laughs> also rethinking the social capital, then it's you, not predatory. You begin,
1: you begin to move out of hipsterism when you do that. Oh, you
2: do. Okay.
0: So if you're if you're enjoying the activity that you're doing for the sake of doing the activity, then you're not a hipster. But if you're yeah. enjoying it purely for the irony sake of it, yes. you're a hipster.
1: Yeah. Okay. That would be the Well, difference.
2: okay, but I would recommend for all those listening, please do not like enjoy felling trees ironically, because lumberjacking is one of the most dangerous <laughs> occupations on the face of the planet. I think deep sea fishing in like Alaska and lumberjacking, it's like it's close to a hundred percent like um, injury rate. So don't just do it for funsies, all right? that's my, that's my tip of the week
1: (laughs) because Mona's put random spikes and trees throughout the forests. So when you hit them, they're going to break your chainsaw and kill you. Really?
2: I don't want people to take my trees. I want all the trees Uh, because you know, I'm, I'm a hardcore lumber sexual.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That would be, I don't even know what to say.
2: I don't know where I live is full of lumber sexuals. They're just everywhere. They have, like, perfectly coiffed hair and, like, these oiled beards and then these, like, ragtag sort of flannels. Like, if you go into a a given coffee shop in any metro area, Mm -hmm. it's, like, all flannel this time of year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty. You you just feel the the vibes of desperation. Like, all these people, like, hoping to meet their, like, soulmate in the (laughs) coffee shop. Like, stare at each other across the room and, like, Mm -hmm. some soft music starts playing. Like, glitter starts falling from the ceiling. Have
1: have you heard about the guys who put flowers in their beards? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people with these amazing beers and they dress it up with flowers. So really they can attract. Yeah. So they can attract what bees? (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. Don't knock it until you see it, man. It's
2: so beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, one of my favorite artists, like, I don't know if he if he made this up, but he definitely like did this sin Fang. I think he's like an Icelandic guy, but he has like awesome music. But his yeah, I, I feel I feel like more of a hipster when I listen to his music, because like the album cover is just his beard full of flowers.
0: <laughs> really? To yeah. me, that, that's distracting. It takes away from the glory of the beard itself. I think that's it's
2: good. like a masculinity statement. Like, I'm so manly, I can fill my beard that's with flowery right. crap and still be manly and look at yep. my manliness.
0: Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I
2: think so. Yeah.
0: Every year I feel older and older. That seems just so silly. I'm just, I don't get it. Why
2: are you keeping up with the trends, Jeff?
0: I don't know. You're turning into a curmudgeon. I am a curmudgeon. I absolutely am a curmudgeon. I live in a college town. And before I was like, Oh, college students. Now I refer to them as kids. I refer to college students as kids. I am old and it's depressing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what Jeff is saying is that he already passed the 30 mark. And, you know, Mona, you're mm-hmm. headed there,
0: right? Hey, hey, so hey, 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 no numbers, no numbers. <laughs> just, I am. If, if, I'm if, proud. if Mona wants to throw out her 30, that's fine. We don't need to say that I'm over 30. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's already been said. It's already it
0: has. Been said. People can do the math.
2: I'm you know? proud, though, People can do
0: I'm, the
1: math. How, what you, you, you were married when you, you said you were married 15 years ago, like,
0: when Mona yeah. was. <laughs> maybe I was. made
2: married in Arkansas. That no. Kid. Okay. That's That's a mean. I, I know all of our Arkansas listeners, I'm sorry.
0: Well, we don't have any people, yet, but
2: people tend to get married younger in the South, right?
1: Or in the town I grew up in. Listen. Yeah. A, a people aren't gonna
0: remember how many married. years I said I was married. This is this conversation is is over right now. It is. It is. You
2: know, Jeff, you're the one who edits this, so you can take it out.
0: I am a purist, so I'm not gonna take this out. I'm gonna let oh, my, my freaking flag cry out of it. Uh, All right.
2: I'm so proud to be 30. I just have to say that I've looked forward to it my whole life. I wanted people to take me seriously. I feel like the older I get, the more credible I get and the more like gravity my words have. And I just I really just want to rule the world, I think, is what it comes down to. So you're ageist. I am a bit of an ageist, but like not an anti old ageist. I'm like a pro old ageist. Mm -hmm. Actually. okay. so I had this conversation with my mother at Costco a couple over Christmas, I told I was trying to tell her that like the young people nowadays are like dressing like grandmas and that's the cool thing, you know, and <laughs> she's like, she's like, why are you guys taking this away from us? Like the old people just figured out how to dress younger and like look more hip. And I was like, yeah, as soon as you guys figured that out, we just went to the old clothes, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, she was holding like a bunch of cheeses from Costco, which like are always much larger than you realize, like outside the store. And she was like, well, you know, sometimes the only thing left to do is to squeeze your goat cheese and say, hallelujah.
0: All right. <laughs> On that note, this week we are going to be discussing the Bible. Um, <laughs> I think it's a conversation that's long overdue. Um, yes. And that'll hopefully ease the I don't know what from this <laughs> little intro or discussion or talk about goat cheese and oldness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's going on. All right. Well, join us on the other side of the music and and we will, uh, we will get serious. I promise. All right, we are back. So this week, the Bible discuss
1: the B I B L E. Uh, That's the book for me.
0: Mona, oh. I take it this is not a fun subject for you.
2: No, I mean I study this stuff, but yeah. Alan, okay, so Alan's going to be real excited about this episode, and I'm going to be like just dragging my heels through it. But that's okay, because we represent, you know, the spectrum Mm -hmm. of attitudes toward the Bible. Yes.
0: Well, let's start with what the Bible used to mean to us, or what we were taught it is, and then we'll kind of let the conversation progress into where we are now and how important or unimportant, depending upon your position, the Bible still is. Yeah? Sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Bible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I grew up in a place where the Bible was considered inerrant and perfect and um, very what easily What do you mean understood. by inerrant,
0: Alan? Explain inerrant. to us. Give us a sure. definition, maybe.
1: So, the definition of inerrancy, there's a couple out there, <laughs> but it's basically there are no errors in the Bible. When the Bible says 500 people went from this place to that place, there's literally 500 people or... You know, in the Old Testament, the people were in the land of this long. They were there that long. And some people have included in inerrancy the idea of like a seven day literal creation at the beginning. But also you look in the New Testament, when the Bible says something, it is literally true historically, unless it's obviously metaphorical and symbolic, which is a distinction that's a lot more hard to make than most people think. But that that's what inerrancy kind of is. The Bible says it. I believe it and I do it. There's plenty of memes out there that have been created to that effect. <laughs> so that that's what inerrancy is. And I'm assuming that both of you grew up in a church context where the Bible was looked at in, in an inerrant, infallible way. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So for me, moving away from inerrancy was um, studying the Bible, learning more about what it looks like, what it actually is. Sometimes we just say the Bible in Protestantism and We level out the entire thing to mean like, you know, one level thing. We don't see it as a bunch of different documents that have been put together, a bunch of different voices that have these tensions between them. We just level everything out and we say, you know, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Uh, the, The Bible has one clear message and then we just preach it on Sunday and we live it and we do it. That is problematic for me and for many people who study the Bible, because in the Bible you have these different voices who have different perspectives and agendas. And they don't all fit together super well. I I think for me, this entire conversation about the Bible, I would like to um, encourage people to look at the Bible as like polyphonic and that, yes, it is communicate, communicating something about God. I personally believe it is inspired, you know, and is the word of God, but it is a collection, like a, a folder of different voices that is held together by a central unifying theme, but those voices don't smooth out so well. Yeah, That's where I'm at.
0: I think that's a good way to put it. I think that, that I, I grew up in that same place of infallibility and all that kind of stuff, which is interesting because I find that the more and more I look back to that tradition, the more I'm a little bit grateful for it in the sense that it put a priority on it for me that mm-hmm. I don't think left, but just the reasons it's a priority for me changed. Um, and I don't know... If I would have had that, if I didn't grow up in that particular context, like I really, along with you, Alan, I really have a, a great appreciation for it. Not in the sense that it is this, what's that acronym um, that people use for the Bible?
1: Basic instructions before
0: is. leaving earth. Yeah.
1: Basic
2: instructions before <laughs> Do you know where, leaving earth. So my, my Do you
1: know appreciation where has evolved to,
0: oh, where did you see that?
1: I saw that on a shirt that was made for a dog. No joke. <laughs>
0: I think the first time I saw it was a bumper sticker, but I think that's true for most Christian sayings. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it was it was going from an appreciation for here's something that is always applicable here and now, to learning to appreciate it more within the context it was it, it was written. Where many of the places that seem so archaic, and if we continue to follow a certain way that the Bible puts, it is archaic, but within its context, very progressive in certain ways. So the, the idea of how, if we don't appreciate where it came from, and we try to just, you know, shove it into our context today, then I think we miss something. And I feel that in, at least, I don't, I don't know if it's true for you, Alan, maybe not for you, Mona, um, based on your reaction for this conversation. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's something that is uh, greater, For me now that I understand and have broadened my understanding from this infallibility issue Um, because it, it, it breaks down, you know, if it's infallible, well, we're not reading it in the English language. So which translation is infallible and why is that translation infallible? And because even within a translation, there's interpretation. And I think that there's a lot of Christianity that doesn't even think about that. Like if you ask them, they would they wouldn't even know a language it was written in. Initially, and then they would think that, well, you know, it's this what it says in English, but that's not always what it says in the original language. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So to make a little nuance, um, there are the, there's a difference between inerrancy, at least in my mind, and infallibility. Inerrancy is the idea is that there's no errors in the Bible and infallibility, at least as I understand it, is that whatever we have in whatever form, even if it's in error, Um, The Bible is infallible in the sense that it communicates something about God and the purposes for which it was written will be accomplished. So um, the infallibility is tied to the idea that the Bible is inspired and that it's teaching something about God. And those ideas and those things are um, infallible. They they are going to do what they've been created to do and they won't be like interrupted in that way. And inerrancy is something that takes that to a whole new level and says, you know, every single thing that's said in the Bible is going to be completely correct. And there's no errors in it. Um,
0: no errors and, at and, all. Would that include like yeah. grammatical errors? Like everything. So is- no, most, you
1: know, it's impossible to say no grammatical errors because there obviously are grammatical errors, but in the things that the Bible intends to say, it's inerrant, you know, that, that that's in, in the original manuscripts. That's what people would say. So I would say like, Personally, I believe the Bible is infallible in the sense that it's going to accomplish the things that God has set it out to do because it's inspired. I don't think it's inerrant. I think that's a very difficult position to hold. Um, But I'd also like to to mention one more thing. The idea of the word of God, right, as it was used in antiquity, as it was used by Jewish people, Israelites, and then Christians, and the idea of the Bible are kind of different things. Right. In Greek thought, the word was this rash, this like law, log, the logos, this rationale behind the universe, this ordering thing that um, that you could see. <laughs> setting up the universe, maybe even setting up destiny, and in, in Jewish thought, the the word, especially in Second Temple Judaism, was this almost second presence with God, but it was something that issued out of God, and it was a way to talk about you know God's presence. So when, when we say like the Word of God, sometimes we just conflate all that to mean you know the Bible, but it's it's a lot more than that. And um, so when you say when to, you say Second Ten-
0: Temple Judaism, you're talking specifically about Judaism during the time of Jesus, correct?
1: Yeah, leading up to okay. the time of Jesus and including that.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I would agree with that. And I think um I, if I can kind of cap on that, Alan, um, mm-hmm. the concept of bibliocentrism and the fact the the way that people seem to really worship the Bible in modern Christianity yeah. and to some degree, Jesus divinity, I, th- I really do think the more that I study ancient thought that the... The Jewish concept of monotheism is so strong that the way people treat the Bible and to some degree Jesus today would be seen as blasphemous to put both of those entities up on such a pedestal. So I think it's really important to go back and look at that original context and not like, and, and I would push back a little against what you said. In like, I don't think there's a singular Jewish thought. The more I read, there's not just like one for sure mind. There's not one Jewish mind mm. of Jesus time. And especially because that's like, we're talking like a 500 year period of time or a 700 year period. Or even of time. now, so-
1: Ju- Judaism was never this necessarily monolithic thing. It was of a course. collection of interpretations. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But particularly to elevate the Bible as being this absolute, um, basically the word of God, as far as like a direct correlation and direct connection to the person of God, I think that idea actually would be considered really heretical in in, in near Jewish thought. So that's, that's significant, I think, to consider. And I, so, so for my story is um, I grew up like, reading the Bible in a year, you know, we did the whole, like, you know, every morning you read like five chapters while you eat your breakfast. And, and I really like was taught to cultivate a love for the Bible in my personal study. Mm -hmm. And after, after several years of that, I just, I kind of came to this realization that I do not love the Bible in any capacity. I think this is, it's a really bloody book. And a lot of it is very oppressive to me, especially as a woman, women don't speak, women didn't write the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, it's incredibly difficult for me to see so many passages that like are blatantly, violently misogynistic, like Ezekiel 16, I'm thinking of as one of the most bloody passages in the whole Bible. It compares Israel to a whoring, a woman who deserves to be dismembered by her lovers. And so I, I can, it's really hard for me to look at the Bible and not see all of the scars and all of the violence that has been justified in the name of the Bible. And not just in, in terms of gender, but in like even thinking about genocide and conquest, like I cannot read the book of Joshua and get devotional pleasure <laughs> out of it. I can't do I, it. I agree. I so, can't so do it.
1: I, I'm there too. I, I don't, you know, I don't believe every single section of the Bible is to be used in the same way. I don't think that you know the gospels so then how can you should be used a, the same way as Joshua because they're obviously very different things. So or, then, or how Psalms can you hold the concept
2: or, of the canon together? Then, how can you hold a just concept because of they're different, just
1: because they're 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 different mediums, doesn't mean that they necessarily have to be divorced. That we have to look at one and you know as scripture and and one is not. That that that's assuming the nature of scripture is this super level playing field, and I don't think it is. I I, I think, um, the, like you were saying, even even in the Jewish mind, like that's not how uh, the Bible worked. When Jesus opens up the the cabinet, right, of all the different scrolls, they're on different levels. There some are more important than others. You know, some you use to interpret others, and the way to look at scripture was to find some way of of interpreting it that made sense to to the world. Um, I think it's also important to point out that I'm going to get this completely wrong. (laughs) I I, I don't, this is off the top of my head, but I think Neo orthodoxy and like Karl Barth and that kind of thing, when they talk about the word of God saying that, you know, the Bible um, is the word of God or equating those two is not necessarily appropriate, but saying that God can speak through the Bible, that the word of God can, the Bible can be the word of God when it's like rightly used I think is a really interesting concept to me. So if you're gonna look at like Joshua or whatever, if someone's gonna use those things inappropriately, to me, that is not communicating. That's not speaking or saying or preaching the word of God. That's actually misusing like scripture. That's okay. not tapping into the word of God. So
2: I have like a million instance, problems with that you just said for
1: instance, <laughs> first hold on, one more thing. For instance, people okay. would use um New Testament. People in the early United States, when they had slaves, they would hire preachers to come onto their plantations and actually preach at slaves, telling them to be good slaves. They would quote things in the New Testament about slavery and basically say, don't run away, you know, be a good slave when your master's not looking, work really hard. To me, that's an entirely inappropriate way to use that section of the New Testament. And so to consider the preaching of that, the word of God is not something that I would do. Like I'd. You well, know what I'm saying?
2: It, well, the point that the point that this begs for me is that the that preaching the word of God, quote unquote, is so tied to power structure that it is inextricably linked. And so if you're gonna ask who gets to interpret these books and who gets to decide how to use them and when to use them and why to use them, it has to do with power. And and historically, those who have not been in power do not get access to interpreting those books.
1: Absolutely. And, so, and that's why and, I'm a so congregationalist.
2: <laughs> So for example, but for example, like Howard Thurman is a notable um, sort of uh, civil rights era theologian. And he um, and Renita Weems documents this as well. Um, he, he talks about his grandmother as um, re- recalling the time of slavery when she was young. And, and, and this exact thing you were talking about, Alan, this white preacher came and, and pointed out all the biblical passages that talk about slaves obeying your masters. And after this happened, she made a vow to never read the Bible again if she ever had the choice because that was used to oppress her specifically. And I think you can apply that in a lot of different ways for a lot of people. And I really applaud people who stick. I don't know if I applaud, but I mean, I think it's everyone's right to to stick with that text and try to rescue it if they're so inclined. For example, a lot of gay people or gay ministers that I know still use the Bible, still hold to the Bible, even though it's been used as a weapon against them. Um, but for me, I don't have a proclivity proclivity to rescue the Bible because these are in, I don't feel like this text speaks for me to a lar- to a large extent, especially as a woman. Like women are silent in these books and uh, maybe I've just read too many deconstructionist feminist theologians like um, Phyllis Tribble who do amazing work, but they're the I, I really I have a hard time seeing myself in these texts. And I think the fact that I do is something that I've gained from culture not necessarily because I have like an intrinsic draw toward these books. Right. So I, I, okay. So I would say, so you, Alan, as, far, wait, okay. as far
1: as rescuing the Bible, like that's something that I kind of blister at a little bit, I guess, because um, yes, the Bible is misused and misappropriated and rescue in the sense that like kind of returned to how it was supposed to function originally, or maybe how we can, you know, function with it now, but not like I don't know. I I totally get what you're saying. That the Bible is written by male perspectives. It's pretty interesting, even if you look in the book of of Joshua when um a or sorry the, the the book of Judges when Sennacherib like invades or whatever. I think it's Sennacherib, and someone you know kills him with a tent peg. That that one woman, and then his mom Anna, is right.
2: Uh,
1: I think it's Yael or Jael. Oh, Jael. Kills him Jael, with Jael, a ten, tent Jael. peg. And then there's this beautiful, poetic thing of uh, the this foreign king's mother, you know, proclaiming, oh, where is my son? He's been gone for so long. I'm waiting for him at the window. Like, I hope he's destroying Israel. You know, two men for every or two women for every man, you know, may they rape and pillage and burn. And obviously this woman is like her words are constructed by a male mind just by the way that she's speaking just you know and so even the voices of women in texts are given to us by men so i completely agree with you that there is like misogyny there's even genocide although there's uh really good arguments that that never actually happened That the genocide portrayed portrayed in old testament didn't happen um those are things when you when you look at those and you say hey this is scripture you know this misogyny or like this you know this aspect or this cultural aspect is what the word of God is. I would, I would disagree with that. Like, I don't think that that's, those are the reasons that um, scripture was given. Scripture is like a reaction to the reality and the presence of God, what God is doing in the midst of, of the people and who God is. And I would argue but from a Christian you, perspective that it, but then, Jesus, the event of Jesus, the person of Jesus is the interpretive tool through which you would read well, see, all of scripture. Okay.
0: So let me jump in. Yeah. If I may. Um, Okay, so uh, first question I have for you, Mona, is wh- where's that line for you as far as... Because I, I totally understand and get what you're talking about. Like It is not a, a female-centric book in any way, shape, or form. Um, so for me, it's if I went back to Rosa Parks going on the bus and saying, I'm, I'm going to sit here... Eventually, as time goes on, that's going to seem like, why did they have to do that? Because our current context is so has progressed so much beyond that point where we don't even see the need why someone would sit down. You you see what I'm saying? Where, where, what, what seems absolutely ridiculous to us that someone would even that they would even have segregation in any way, shape or form or slavery or whatever seems silly because we've progressed to a certain place where that is no longer part of the norm of our society. So you you take that distance from 50 to 100 years, and then you add two or 3,000 more years before that, and you read the Old Testament, and then you know, yes, compared to today, they were barbaric and violent and just awful the way yeah, society i mean ran. we
2: have more wars now than ever before so it's not like we're better <laughs> well we, actually we have less less wars
0: than we have we're actually in one of the more peaceful times well statistically speaking as far as yeah. like people dying in wars that are happening we we have less now or at least that's what i read recently so i don't know how <laughs> super accurate that is it's but hard,
2: hard to say like how how much history like births uh, new times or or new things i think like obviously I, okay, this is my, this is my, my theory. Well, let, I, I, let me just okay. try to finish. Yeah, that yeah, point. Go ahead. Go um, ahead.
0: So, so this idea of, of imposing our consciousness onto the consciousness of, of certain times or eras of history and saying that because it's so different from the way I think about people and rights and equality and all that, that I, that I just can't get into it. I'm not saying you're, you're dismissing it outright, but I'm saying is where does that uh, taking into account, like, okay, for me, their way of. Life was nowhere near progressive, but how, how forward thinking were they in with their own time? You you see what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. And what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that the reason we are quote unquote forward thinking is because of people who've pushed back against the vision of reality from these ancient texts. Right. So like I myself know that I am myself because I am not you guys to the same degree that you guys know that you're not yourself because that you are yourself because you're not me. So mm-hmm. like we today know that we are progressive because we have something to measure it against, right? Yeah. Um, and that a, as a society. In the,
1: the Bible itself though. I But I, I yeah,
2: think. that spring that discourse springs out of the mm-hmm. Bible. Like to the yes. same degree that we don't reflect the Bible, it's because of the Bible. Like we we cannot get away from our biblical roots as far as like our history and stuff like that. Like even our art and our culture springs out of this. And I think to that degree, I'm, I'm thankful that I know these biblical texts and that my parents read these to me from a child because now I can like walk into an art gallery and see like famous pieces from the Renaissance and know, oh, that's the story of Jacob, you know? So it's, you, in, in like all of Western society, you can't get away from the Bible. You can't get away from like understanding biblical literacy. But for me, the Bible represents the best knowledge of God that people thought they had at the time And today we have full rights, in my opinion, full and complete rights to challenge every bit of the text as being reflective of the God that we understand and experience or not. And yeah, maybe that makes me like a total post-structuralist, post-modernist, and it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. But I think it's incredibly more dangerous to say, that we we're gonna grant a few individuals the power to do with this text whatever they feel like doing, whatever feels right in the moment. Because at one point in time, the Bible was used to justify segregation and like against interracial marriages, and in some so parts of the country, are, this is still correct.
1: Those are two kind of different arguments in my mind. The the things that you just um, said, I I think there is an element within scripture itself that speaks back to the things that have been written. Like you you can't read Nehemiah and Jonah side by side and not see that one is like really addressing the other. You know, in one, foreigners are evil. We need to go to this like purest Israel. In the other, foreigners are great. They're the ones that are, you know, repenting and coming back to God. And it's actually the Israelites, this Israelite who is the unrighteous person. And so I think there is an element within scripture that's self-critical, even from the, the very beginning. I mean, the scribes oh, who put together yeah. texts like held these tensions. And I think arguing about scripture, speaking back to it, bringing your perspective, that's something that, that, that was happening very early on. I think you're right in saying the way we do Bible today in maybe evangelical churches, especially gives way too much power to one person makes way too many assumptions is too biblo, you know, bibliocentrist or whatever. I, I completely agree with all of those statements, but I look back to the Bible itself and see how it functions. And like, I see it supporting some of the things you're saying about talking back to, to scripture when, when, but scripture make for a me great is point. still. You, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. No,
2: you make a, you, a great point. Like, for example, all of the redundant accounts in scripture itself, like mm-hmm. through the whole text, even the gospels, like there are more than one perspective and they are preserved intentionally yes. by intentionally. the scribes because they want a diversity of voices. I mean, it's not very diverse maybe by other, some standards, but they, they, they intentionally resisted the desire to make it one fluid narrative that all makes sense without any contradictions.
1: And and at some some points though, at some points there are scribal glosses. There are additions that try to, you know, even things out. I'm thinking about like the end of Mark where, you know, Jesus is risen from the dead. The end of that is most likely a scribal addition. And like, Mm -hmm. there's lots of places where that happens.
0: Okay. Hold on. When you say scribal addition, I don't, I wonder how many people know what you mean when you say that.
1: Sure. Um, so we, we have texts of the Bible, um, some are older than others, and the older ones tend to be better than the newer ones. Um, we find papyri and, you know, date them and, and study them to try to get back to the earliest manuscripts. Um, and whenever you see a longer story, this is just, you know, a basic assumption. Whenever you see a longer story, it's most likely including something that was added because scribes more likely in antiquity to add notes in the margins or to add features to the text to make it smooth, like smooth it out a little bit as opposed to cutting out segments of Holy scripture. So you, you get these texts of, you know, Greek that are different um, versions of the gospel or whatever. One will be much, you know, much later than another. And it'll have this addition at the end and the grammar will be different. You know, the things it's is saying is different. The, even the, um the feel of it is different than the rest of, of the gospel. And then you, Find older texts that don't include it. You can make a pretty safe assumption that that is something called a scribal gloss, something that was added, and that can even happen in sentences. It's it's a part of the process of of studying the Bible um, historically. Like it's called textual yeah. criticism, and, well, and, and source is,
2: criticism more particularly. Well, source yeah.
1: criticism is is different than t- so text criticism is is saying what are the best biblical texts that we have and how can we reconstruct them. Source criticism is saying like. Okay. It's a more specific so form have of a, text
2: criticism. We though. have
1: a yeah, so we, we have stories yeah. in the Old Testament that look like conflations of different store of different sources. Like, you know, it looks like they took several different sources and put them together because the grammar and the things that are being said are very coherent with this one source and you know, very coherent with this other one. And together they make the text make sense now. Um, it's very interesting and it is awesome, and it is something that you know I've I've studied quite a bit. Um, It's probably too detailed to get into necessarily right now, but just so basically what what, what that does for us is (laughs) at the very least, that challenges the notion that we have this one, you know, one voice in scripture, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired all of it. So it's all saying the same thing. Like we have different texts. We have different sources. The nature of the Bible itself is more of a like an encyclopedia or like something that's been put together with all these different, you know, perspectives than than just flattening it out, flattening it out. Um, for, for me, what, yeah. the the whole point of, of interpreting the Bible and studying it is something, something that, um, this guy, uh, called the fusion. I can't remember who it was the fusion of horizons. You take the horizon of the biblical text, you know, the world behind the text, the world, when it was written, um, the text that we, as we have it today, you know, it's been redacted and put back together and then you take Wait, our you We gotta work.
2: define redacted.
1: Yeah. Okay, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay, finish so, your thought and then we could go back to that. Sorry.
1: Just to say the final forms that we have today have been put together by an editor. The Bible is an edited document. The there editor was
0: being God, by the way. Well, just no, so no, everyone no. knows so the Holy no. Spirit. So
1: it was either a community of scribes or maybe one person <laughs> in some instances that put together yes. You know, the, the texts we have them now they've been read, they've been edited and some people say, okay, well, the Bible is only inspired in it's very original manuscripts, you know, before it was edited. Some people say, well, actually, it's the edited version that's inspired. And like, the idea is that um, we have a Bible that was a, you know, so these things are originally said or written. There's that world, the world that they're talking about is even older, right? So, so you have people writing about the time of the judges, for instance. Well, the time of the judges is different than the time of the writer. And the time of the redactor who put together what was what was written is even later than that. And then now we have our time. So taking all of these horizons of meaning and of like of why people said what they said and what they were intending to do, and then fusing those together, finding ways that they are um, speaking to us today, you know, finding ways that they are authentically communicating the heart of God and like like the meaning of of what God wants to do is what interpretation involves. And yes, if you have one person doing that. It is horrifying and scary and like inappropriate in my mind. I said I was a congregationalist. I really do believe that it is the job of communities to interpret the Bible, the job of the Christian religious community to come together and talk about all of these horizons and fuse them together in a way that is something you've said before, Mona, life-giving. Um, So
2: So, so do you think the dialogue of the community is where, like, (coughs) for you, the work of the Holy Spirit happens? And Jeff is trolling you, like, in a funny way. But I really do think, like, I'm going to go Pentecostal on your ass for a minute and say (laughs) – like, what if the community decides, like, oh, you know, murdering is just like so archaic that you know we can just kill whoever we want. Like, what if okay. the community decides?
0: So, well, and not you're only asking, that, but you're asking
1: what what is our ultimate like interpretive tool, right? You're asking what where does the bug stop? Is, is I'm that just what you're messing
2: asking? with you, but no, I want no, no, to. No, no, I
1: I get what you're doing, but I I think like, <laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead, Jeff.
0: Well, I'm sorry, uh, is it my turn? Okay, so um. <laughs>
1: I, I feel like I'm talking too much and I could talk so much I more. I
0: feel like you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So.
1: The evidence. All right.
0: <laughs> I know you're super excited. You know, Alan, I know. The Bible <laughs> okay. So first of all, you're saying that the community decides, well, we all came from a community that decided very clearly on what the Bible said. So who knows what community we're talking about you know what i mean like when you say the community decides are you just talking about every local church or congregation or small group that meets they get to decide what the word says and what's appropriate
2: are those communities I, only christian people
0: those things are processes that happen in given
1: culturals you know given cultural contexts those things happen in different horizons at different times and it is a process not necessarily a destination so, i don't look at the word of god as something that's like you know, inscribed necessarily in stone, and this is forever. You know, like this is exactly it, those things are applied in those those moments. I don't think you know we have to find the community that gets the right answer because there is no the right answer in some sense. So
0: everyone's like, interpretation is valid.
1: In, in some sense, everybody's process is valid. No, that's correct. I don't, I don't I, understand.
0: Like pro, I, I, I process. process.
1: <laughs> I I believe different the communities. Their and who, process. Then who of, decerm-
0: Who determines whether the end pro- the end of that process is correct or not correct? History. No. <laughs> are you on but the wrong side? But history is written by
1: history?
2: the winners. Okay, uh, but yeah. seriously, like, mm-hmm. there are some people who use the Bible. Like, have you guys ever seen the Monty Python skit, The Ministry of Silly Walks? Like, yes. really? That's what it feels like to me. It feels like people are just like doing all this weird stuff with this book, these books. And like, it doesn't. I would agree with that. It's cohesive whole, except for just the silliness itself. I don't so, think all processes are created equal. Absolutely not. I
1: agree, but everybody has a legitimate, valid reason to engage in the process of biblical interpretation in community. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying every single way is healthy. Every single way is made even like, like I said in an earlier episode, there are more healthy ways of interpreting scripture than others. I would make that argument, you know, it's on blue in the face. I do think that you can't just say, you know, everything is valid or legitimate, but I think that the process itself of biblical interpretation is something that's happening in the community it needs to happen in the community
0: but what community? <laughs> okay well, I, well hold on i think we're going around in circles so let, let's let's just let's just answer the simple question of what if any does the bible scripture god's word have for us today
2: I okay, so it gives no, us- Wait, I think it's I think it's modus wait, turn. I think it's Modis' turn. If you qualify the question, if qualify the question, what do we mean by that? Do we mean ethically and morally? Do we mean individually? Do we mean communally? Do we mean politically, culturally? Let's what just is, do what?
0: within the the life of a Christian today.
2: Eight? But but no one's a singular unit. Like no one's an island, right? So like it, our communities are impact us, and we impact our communities, right? Yes. I, I think a lot of what we've been talking about today is actually ethics. It's actually how do you determine right and wrong and how do people use these scriptural books to determine right and wrong? And that's where people get really pissed. I think if you start messing with canonicity and scripture, because they say, Oh, you just want to like make everything relative. And then there's no such thing as right and wrong, but nobody's saying that. I don't think otherwise society would completely fall apart. Right.
1: I'm interested in, in like tools, like using, using tools for biblical interpretation and stuff like that and using, I'm not necessarily interested in nailing down like concrete. um, And and maybe this is where we're having a different conversation. I do believe that Jesus, the event and person of Jesus, even though we have, you know, an ancient perspective on what that was in, in the gospels. I think that is the interpretive tool that I use for all of scripture.
0: So like, so then what is the value of interpretation today? Why do it? Because
1: it fuses the horizons of, people who have come before us and who have um, experienced God with our own. And in that fusion between the two, like we get God speaking in a sense in, in a very like valid way. So then what
0: sets the Bible apart from, the writings and things that happened from there until now.
1: The
2: well, community. okay. So for me, for me, for me, though, it, it
0: joined the community.
1: It was a community that it was a community of Christians that came together and like worked out the the canonicity of stuff. Right, well, I'm not claiming that that's huge or whatever, but let me offer my
0: uh, my analogy. It may be totally flawed, but um, I I don't remember any of the well, names. If it of is, we'll yell at you. Thank so. you. I don't remember <laughs> any of the names of the theologians or any of the proper theological terms, but let me put it in terms of Batman. this is this is my prophet all right so um so you're wearing hockey pants this, this is how i see it is that no matter what your narrative no matter what your community is that your beginnings matter whether they evolve or not it's still important to know the beginnings so what i think and why i think that the bible is important and for us to understand its context in a sense it is the origin story of christianity in a sense i know there's nuances and we can pick that apart and everything but um, in a sense as an origin story. And although uh, Batman has been rebooted over the years, there's certain <laughs> nuances to the origin story that have changed, but the heart of what that is and what that community is, is important. And without the knowledge of what the original story was, it's hard to feel like you're a part of a larger community in the sense of kind of what Alan was talking about. We're linking the horizons, which is a very beautiful way to put it um, is that we understand that our story is in a sense has a beginning and, We understand the mindset of the people and we can sit and we can be like, wow, these are some really good thoughts and then these are some thoughts that maybe it's time to leave behind. So I think it's important to understand what they are within the context as opposed to trying to like just jam them into our current context and think that they're this that it's a set of magical words that are e- eternal for all time. So I think, I think they're important. And I think that that's why for me, that's why it's separate. It's separates out from the rest of Christianity because it's the origin story. And there's always going to be alterations to that actual story and w- different ways of looking at it. But the heart of that is still there. Does that make sense? So it there, does, there, but there's I have a lot of different, say,
1: ah! <laughs> I was just going to say, there's a lot of different documents, <laughs> right? <laughs> We have this, but there was a lot of different... Mona,
0: I'm sorry. Stories. If you two were on different <laughs> channels, I'd mute him. but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, I'll take that.
2: Well. Alan, go ahead. I'll be no. magnanimous and let was, you go first.
1: <laughs> I was just saying that there's a lot of different origin stories. Sure, we have these, but like there was a lot of different Christian writings that got left out and a lot of different Jewish, even more Jewish ones that got left out. But
0: I would say in the, in the span of actual... like history it's it's pretty universally regarded that these are the texts of christianity does that make sense like it's not that it has but, like it really okay, hasn't changed all the, that much but they're the
2: texts of christianity because we've reinscribed. because we keep telling ourselves the story of ourselves and in telling it we we re we perpetuate the same things but like, is that necessarily wrong
0: it, i mean isn't that what we all do as
2: we remember it well if it's harmful stuff it's wrong but is, is it like,
0: actually harmful to uphold it or is it harmful depending upon our interpretation of it? See, that's that's well, a question if, for me.
2: If you're retelling the origin story and then you're like allowing questioning of it. Yeah, that's one thing. But that's it's what like, I'm
0: saying, because yeah. I mean, if you, to use my Batman analogy, I mean, you have this story and people are allowed to um, reinterpret it or reimagine it through a movie or a different type of TV show or what you know what I'm saying. So like the same thing huh? with Christianity is we have that. I think there's more freedom in how we look at the text than maybe some segments of Christianity allow us to think. But I don't think that just because we've ascribed it through whatever Constantine or whatever, just because we decided this is it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing.
2: Well, but I would I would push back a little bit in that and saying like Batman. Okay, that's a good example, actually. But Batman was written with the intention of appealing to a mass audience for the purposes of entertainment. What was the Bible written for? It was written by specific people for specific, specific people to tell their own history. And in a particular social location, it was not meant to entertain um, at all. You know what I mean? So I think the retelling and the reinterpretation of this book, like there are limits to using that in a faithful way that does take the history into account. So I yeah. think there, there definitely are... Boundaries. I don't know where they are or where they should be, but there. Are I think for for ancient texts, there are way more boundaries than like interpreting something that's made in modern times for a mass audience. You know? Yeah, I, it's a I really agree. good example. So I think intention really, 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 really matters. I, I I don't know. I think for me, like my context, it's just been so bibliocentric for so long. I'm just ready to move away from it, and so maybe that's my reaction. You know, that's my like bias, and I that- just want to admit it.
1: That strikes me as a particularly healthy move. Um, I was reading C.S. Lewis the other day. I think it was his book, Miracles. And he has this argument that sometimes when people turn away from God and embrace atheism, that's actually their first genuine religious move. Like that's Mm -hmm. their first. That's the first time that they're, they're actually, you know, encountering God or whatever, even if it's moving away from God, because. And, grappling. And, and I think, yeah. And They're so I grappling
2: think, like we, Jacob and the <laughs> demon or the angel or the Jesus or whatever that figure was that Jacob wrestled. <laughs> with. But I think it, okay. It begs the point though, because when you grapple mm-hmm. really, when you really actually grapple, you might walk away with a limp, you know, and that's the danger yeah. Yeah. in coming out of the, the communities that we come out of where yeah. there, it, where there are these supposed like romantic absolutes that when you try to step out of that, it can be really hard. <laughs> it can be, it can leave you limping and, and, you know, whatever, but.
1: That I agree with.
0: So, well, especially when you communicate the Bible in terms of basic instructions before leaving Earth, that everything <laughs> that you need to know is in this book. Yeah. Um, and I think that in their attempt to make it powerful and mm. transcendent, they they almost make it unbearably God. simple, and yeah. they take away its beauty and its wonder because they're yeah. they're taking it out of its context. You know, like yeah. if you took out. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy and I'm not going to try. But, but you know, you can't take something if you take it out of its context and you don't appreciate it for what it is, then you lose its beauty, you know.
1: So the Bible can be beautiful and meaningful and inspired and even the word of God. Like It can also be really
2: ugly. Don't forget that. Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. Without without resorting to looking at it in a literalist, like inerrantist, um, without holding it up to this standard that, like you said, make this romantic ideal. Without doing that, it can function as the word of God. It just, it looks different than we probably thought of before. Absolutely. It can still be beautiful
0: and powerful. And holding that tension between there's a part that can be beautiful, but also we have to learn to acknowledge that this part is not beautiful. It is gross. It is disgusting. It is not good. And if I don't think, if if we can't acknowledge that tension within the text, then again, I think that takes away from... that. it takes away from our lives if we can't acknowledge the attention, the tension that we have in our own hearts between uh proclivity towards doing good or doing bad or whatever. Like that tension is kind of what makes it powerful.
2: I, I, I have a takeaway, guys. I have our takeaway right. for this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, respect. The theme I'm hearing emerges respect. I mean, yes, No, seriously. OK, I really like Sandra Schneider. She writes a wonderful she talks about biblical authority, and like a lot of times we we look at these texts like in an absolute authoritative way, like they are talking to us. But instead, if we have a relationship with the text, at a relational respect, a really, and we consider this like a, a dialogue between us and the text, we're actually treating the text with so much more respect, which is what you guys have both been saying. What we've all been Absolutely. saying, kind of from different angles, like to really appreciate the Bible and not just appreciate it, but to use it to use it well is to respect the text and to really mm-hmm. to study, to study, 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 study. Even if you don't like it like me, just to study it, like to know. <laughs> so
1: I would say don't, and, and in, you don't. Know, in line, in line with respect, <laughs> don't level it all out. Like respect the different voices for what they are. And like hear that weird, what do you call that? uh When things are not necessarily harmonious, what's the musical Dissonance. term? Thank you Dissonance. for the dissonant, the dissonant song that it sometimes is. And like, yeah allowing that to be yeah for allowing that to come through is to respect the bible and that that can be the word of god it doesn't have to be something that we just discount
2: Mm -hmm. alan do you do you have a recommendation do you guys both or i guess both of you have a recommendation for like your favorite books on like biblical texts and what you recommend for people
1: yes uh for me i i like peter Enns. um he's been he's writing a few new things but he came out of kind of this evangelical scholarship culture and now is somewhere else but um he's a professor of I think the old Testament and uh, he wrote something. I think the the title is um, defending scripture or how defending scripture has made us unable to read it. Oh yeah. For the Bible tells me so um, how defending scripture has made us unable to read it. I haven't read all of it yet, but I read his prior books that lead up to this and this is a pretty popular treatment of um, how he reads the Bible. But the stuff that Peter ends writes is what I would recommend.
0: Um, if you, I would say a real simple start is discovering some of the nuances of the text, and it's just a simple book. It's called um, "How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth." I forget who it's written by, um, but it is just—it's a good starting point to explain to you, like translations and original language, and just to give you a, just to kind of scratch the surface of of beyond. You know, here's the version that I have, and how what's being put into that version, and why it's it's important to pick. A certain translation or whatever. Um, I think that's a good one. And then the last word by N.T. Wright is a good one. I know Alan likes that one too.
1: Yeah. That um, was a stepping stone for me. Yeah. I remember having that conversation with you where I transitioned because of that book that you recommended. So
0: yeah, it's, it's a really good book. And then, uh, mm-hmm. if you're like apocalyptic literature, if you're uh, a book called plowshares and pruning hooks, really good book on how to just kind of, again, forgive me for not knowing all the authors, but we'll try to put that in the show notes. So, uh, Mona, what about you?
2: Yeah, I have three. Um, I have um, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time by Marcus Borg is excellent. It's not super heady. Yeah, it's 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 a good introduction uh, all, as well. Um, and then I have two by feminist theologians. One is called Wisdom Ways by Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza. Um, she's a wonderful biblical scholar, completely brilliant. And she does a lot on biblical um, interpretation. And she has another one called Democratizing, Democratizing Biblical Studies, which is also good. And then the third one, if you want to look more into the kind of the sorted, more gruesome history of the Bible and like kind of what to do with that and where to go from there. Um, A a woman, a theologian named Renita Weems, W-E-E-M-S is excellent. And she wrote a book called Battered Love.
0: All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this conversation this week. So on the other side of the music, we are going to play a little game called The Missing Link. All right. Well, that was fun. And hopefully this will be just as fun. Um, we're going to do a new segment called The Missing Link. And how this works is each of us are have come up with two words. And the other two have to come up with a word that links those two words. So, for instance, if I said inside and outside, someone might say door or window. So it's a it's a That's unifying word. That's not a word. good example. Why isn't that a good <laughs> oh. example at all? No. Well, will give me a better example then.
2: It doesn't work. Why? Well, because I would say
1: like coffee and blank shirt, coffee and tea shirt. You know yeah,
2: saying? that's a like good one. Basically,
1: an one. idea and an idea and something that connects the two.
2: So yeah, that okay. comes. I only the have the one. And and the beginning of the next. I was okay, trying to ahead, come up with something I really only have one
0: simple. And it's horrible, All right, so, we'll, so you let, just go ahead and start, Alan.
1: <laughs> okay, this is my only one, and it's so stupid. Um, burning underscore doctrine so burning doctrine okay which so you guys have to come up what which
2: bush it's Bam. bush
1: bang bush
2: doctrine it. i don't bush know doctrine. i don't even know what that is you it know is, what
1: the bush doctrine is oh it's the no. for, it's the set of foreign policies that george w, w bush had when he was you know, way uh, different words
2: different Okay,
0: they apparently, call it the bush doctor. Well,
2: that was so smart of you. Apparently,
0: Burning I didn't bush. understand <laughs> this game. I didn't know. Are we supposed to come up with the middle word that you're supposed to guess, or is it just yeah. an insight into the person that's saying the word that they think is in the middle?
1: No, you I'll, I'll, I'll give to you another an example. Word that connects the two.
0: Oh, yeah. okay.
2: <laughs> so here we go. Ready? The two words yeah. are caught and meat. What goes in between? Caught, blank, meat.
0: Like meat as in the food or meat as in let's get together? I'm
1: not telling. You have to figure that out. You have to figure out the word that's between the two. That's where (laughs) it
2: gets clever. Cleaver. (laughs) Cleaver, that's not a saying. Jeff, do you understand how this works?
1: Apparently not. (laughs) I don't know. Uh... What's a phrase that has "caught" in it, Jeff? Like you think of a phrase? that See, has that. I didn't
0: know that's that's what I'm saying. Is when we discussed this beforehand, I didn't know that we were like <laughs> trying to mimic a phrase. So I just came up with two random words like and then some sure. kind of linking idea. Like, oh. let me give you mine. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. And you'll see how I was thinking about this game. Wait, and then you didn't
2: guess mine yet? Oh,
0: I'm sorry, I guessed, but it was wrong, and it was so, really so stupid. If, if
1: there was something called like a "caught mystery," you could be like "caught mystery meat, mystery me. I don't know, but no, there's this, not. No. Okay, great. But I don't. I, I can't think of the two connecting. that's, that's a good one.
2: Okay, uh, the connecting word is dead, caught dead, and dead
1: meat. Caught dead, What's that? Oh, C A U A G. Okay, see now caught. I now I get the game. But C O T. All right. Caught dead. Okay, yeah.
0: so I am I'm way off. So
1: <laughs> well, let's Justice just do one of yours. Percent. That's yeah. what I was
0: wondering when we were preparing for this. I was like, man, you guys are taking forever to come up with this. Just come up with two random words. Like
1: <laughs> no. It's actually super difficult. It's uh, it's like a yes. wheel of fortune game. Well, so Jeff, give us great. yours too, and we're gonna yeah, try to help you. We're, gonna, help with you. With we're you. gonna save you. Here we <laughs> go. Hey, listen, this
0: is <laughs> this episode in particular is making me look kind of like a dumbass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you're so smart. Uh, All right. Okay.
0: All right, so (laughs) listen. Let's play with my rules, and then when you guys give yours,
1: go ahead. You're not a dumbass because
2: you're over thirty. It's all right. You don't have to prove anything to anybody.
1: That's right.
0: No, that's (laughs) that's just that's just hurtful. I'm give give us yours,
1: and we'll come up with such a good linking word that it looks like you knew what you were talking about. Give us your two, Jeff. We're, I, I want to hear it. We're. Uh, I think
2: we scared him away, Alan.
1: We're creative people.
0: Excuse me.
2: Come back. <laughs> still...
1: I'm getting You're a right?
0: tissue. I'm just okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Oh man, this sucks. All right. The two words that I came up with were Disneyland and jail. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what the heck?
0: <laughs> but you have to think in terms of my rules that I have applied to this game, where you have to think like what linking word would would link those two places. Uh,
2: okay,
0: so like there's a guy jail in, in jail? <laughs> no, see, you want me to tell you the word that I came up with? Or do you yeah, really yeah,
2: what? yeah, I don't,
0: yeah. I, I put alcohol. What? So like, oh, he's thinking. what ID, would get yeah. you from Disneyland to jail? The middle thing being al- like a, <laughs> a linking word. <laughs> that's see, that's... So
2: see, what about like a car?
0: A car would work, but why would you <laughs> drive to jail? See, that's what I'm saying is that I totally misunderstood the fundamental rule of this game. <laughs>
2: See interpretation is everything. We proved it our <laughs> point.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: All right, okay, I got a new one. No, the uh-huh.
1: redactor is everything. They're putting it together. The person that puts okay. it together is what. what so
2: yeah, I don't think I'm we need to explain the nuances. <laughs> okay. How about school and hard place? This might be I hope it's e- easier. School like, and
1: hard place. Rock. 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 There you go. See, that's even a bad one. Well,
0: I get the but game school, now.
1: Schoolhouse and then and a hard, hard place, place or something. Schoolhouse school
2: rock. of rock, dude. School of rock. It's yeah, like that's what I was it's
1: so Say school of blank, and then well, it I has to be they, the whole phrase. Or I was whatever. trying
2: to throw you off.
0: We may <laughs> never do this segment again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, I okay. I have another one. Skin right. and tail. Skin Blake tail.
0: Cat. Skin a cat.
2: Cat.
1: Two, more than there two ways to skin a cat, right? Skin and cat, cat tail.
0: See, I was gonna say alcohol. I was
1: good because on their own, like (laughs) alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Alcohol. Oh, that's great.
2: Oh my god, this game is so good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's not really game. It's more of just a We're gonna get it. We're we're gonna get it fixed. All right.
2: Okay, here's one more. Here's one more. Steel and cloud.
1: Blue. Blue steel. (laughs) Did you guys see Zoolander? Zoolander walking on the actual catwalk (laughs) in Paris so awesome and that one like viner who i forgot his name but he was doing a vine of himself and so, uh ben stiller grabbed it grabbed his phone that was pretty great anyway
2: steel and cloud steel and cloud uh, so it has to come after steel and before cloud
1: uh i don't know thunder
2: don't know. thunder steel. Oh, stealing
1: stealing someone's, someone's thunder, thunder and the thunder cloud. cloud very nice
0: there all we right go. well <laughs> well <laughs> Uh, uh, I was hoping for less thinking <laughs> and more insights into people's weird random minds. Uh, but uh, got it. No. I'm, well, no, y- you got it. But apparently I didn't get it at all. <laughs> all right.
2: Next, you can pick the game, Jeff. Yes. OK,
0: n- now you're just being patronizing. Well, <laughs> let's let's let Jeff pick the game next time. He, we don't want him to feel bad. All right. Anyway, that'll do it for us this week. Excuse me why I cut this podcast off and go cry in my room. <laughs> that'll do it for this week thank you so much for taking the time to listen and if you got to this point i'll be fine it's okay Uh, To support the podcast, rate, review, subscribe through iTunes or wherever else you get your audio content. Uh, Also, don't forget to check out our blog, uh, Irenicast.com. And as always, we do want to hear from you. So please, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast, email us at podcast at Irenicast.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Irenicast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Irenicast. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. (laughs) And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation.